0: Wow, as we, uh, as, we find our seats, um, as we find our seats, as we find our seats, as Jane ushers Bob back into his seat, she had to come, did she have to come collect you again, Bob? She had to come find, <laughs> um, as I mentioned, we are talking about the spiritual disciplines over the next few weeks, and uh, we're talking about the spiritual disciplines partially because I think there's something we don't do not we don't do, if I'm going to be honest, we don't do very much of anymore, uh, and I think we don't do as much of because we don't talk about as much of. It's hard to do a thing uh, when we never talk about it, and so uh, we're going to talk about it. It lines up perfectly. Uh, it, it almost lends itself too perfectly to, to talk about the spiritual disciplines over the season of Lent, because when we talk about the spiritual disciplines over the season of Lent, we can start, obviously, with fasting, and then we can end on Easter Sunday, we can, or on sorry, on Palm Sunday, we can end with worship, which is with this this, this praise going into Holy Week, and we can start a beautiful week. So it kind of lends itself really well. So that's where we're going to go. We're going to talk about uh, eight, I believe, of uh, the common 12 spiritual disciplines. Now, there's no agreement among people if there's 12, or if there's 16, or if there's many more. Uh, So if I say 12 and you completely disagree, that's okay. We'll agree to disagree. Um, so we're going to talk about some of them. In, in the little spiritual disciplines quick guide, you'll see that there is only 12, uh, and some of them do overlap. Some of them share common uh, roots or common things, uh, and you'll notice that. And so I challenge you that over Lent, as Zach and I talk about this, as, we, as a church, as we enter into these, uh, into these disciplines, I challenge you to try new ones. Don't pick one that you've been really familiar at and you're, you're great at and you do already. Pick one that you've never done. Pick one that seems strange or, or out of the ordinary or way too hard for you to try and then do it. So today, we're going to start, we're talking about Lent today. Uh, so what is Lent? What does it mean if we say Lent is coming? Lent is happening. Um, this coming week, we have our Pancake Tuesday Supper. We have our Ash Wednesday service. Both of those have to do with Lent. They, they're both on those days because they are around Lent. Lent isn't something every Protestant denomination enters into. Lent isn't something uh, that every church does. Uh, growing up, my church, we didn't have a, a, a huge tradition around Lent. We talked about it, but it wasn't something that was super, uh, super ingrained into us. In other churches I've worked at, we, it doesn't even come up. The season passes, and we go through, and then we, we enter into it when we get, to, uh, we get to Holy Week. We get to coming up to Easter. We really start to focus. Uh, at Bible College, we, we, we barely talked about it at Bible College. Uh, I mean, we, we didn't come up very often. Uh, sometimes evangelical Christians are actually unsure of if we should even do Lent. Are we, are we allowed? Like, isn't that a Catholic thing? Are we, are we allowed as evangelical Christians? Can we do that? Some, some might be saying, well, it's actually not a biblical command, Luke, uh, to celebrate Lent. So why are we talking about it? What are you talking about? Perhaps you've heard about Lent. Perhaps you've participated in Lent. Perhaps you don't think that we should. And all of those are okay. But we're going to get to the issue or the root of what is Lent. What is Lent? So if you've been a part of a liturgical church before, Lent is a season that we celebrate or is celebrated in the liturgical church. Uh, it's in a season that goes approximately six weeks before Easter. It's approximately six weeks. It's a time to focus on Jesus, a time to remember His suffering, His death, His resurrection, His payment for our sins. We have life eternal because Jesus rode and conquered, rose and conquered sin and death once and for all. The word lent itself, the word takes its roots from the word lengthen, and it refers to the time in the spring season where the days start to grow longer. Now, I don't, I married Dutch, but I don't speak any Dutch, and, and I read online that the word lent still, if in, in the Dutch language, it still is, is used in that language, or still used in that way. But either way, it's, it's interesting that the word lent uh, is used to word, or used, describing the days when the seasons grow longer. Or, or sorry, the the season when the days grow longer, the seasons don't get any longer, they're the same. Uh, (laughs) Four of them every year. The original period of Lent was actually observed for 40 hours. So it was 40 hours. It was spent, uh, it was a time spent fasting to commemorate the suffering of Christ and the 40 hours, or approximately 40 hours, that he spent in the tomb. So originally it was celebrated as 40 hours. In the early 3rd century, the the time of Lent, the Lent season was was lengthened from from 40 hours to 6 days. So it became 6 days of Lent that was celebrated by the Christians. And then in about the year 800, it went from 6 days to becoming 40 days. So it became about 40 days of Lent, 40 days of fasting. Lent starts on Ash Wednesday. That's what we're starting off our Ash Wednesday service with. That's, That's the kicking off of Lent. It's 40 days before Easter. Now, if you're good at math, you're going to count and go wrong. It's not 40 days before Easter. Uh, and that's because Sundays aren't included. So it's 40 days before Easter, but Sundays aren't included. Those 40 days correspond with Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness, where he fasted for 40 days. But interestingly, those 40 days also correspond with the 40 years that the Israelites spent wandering in the desert. Those, the, the, the term 40 comes up a bunch there. Lent has traditionally been observed, if you've been part of a liturgical church, it's pr- traditionally been observed as 40 days of fasting. Shrove Tuesday is the day before Ash Wednesday, and typically it is celebrated with feasting in many parts of the world. Many parts of the world celebrate Shrove Tuesday by some type of a, of a feast. Here in Canada, we celebrate that feast with nothing other than pancakes, the most Canadian thing we could think of. Just, I think it was an excuse to celebrate by putting as much maple syrup on a thing before we could. So, so we celebrate Shrove Tuesday, we, we kick it off with, with Pancake Tuesday. It's a, it's a time of feasting. Sh- the word shrove in Shrove Tuesday takes its name from the word shriving, which for- refers to the forgiving of sins. The Lent season is associated with fasting in one form or another, and it's usually associated with the type of fasting from food. Uh, often we fast from things like social media. In today's culture, a common thing that I hear is, I'm fasting from social media for 40 days. Or, or I'm fasting from Facebook, or, or I'm going to fast from TV for 40 days. Uh, another common one is chocolate. I'm going to have no chocolate for 40 days, and then I'm going to celebrate by eating a whole ton of chocolate at Easter. That's a <laughs> that's a great thing. Uh, coffee, coffee is really common. Um, fasting. So what is fasting? If we say we're going to during the season of Lent, it's associated with fasting. What is fasting? Well, fasting is typically it's going without or abstaining from, or sacrificing something. Throughout Scripture, fasting is referred to as the abstaining of food for spiritual purposes. Now, fasting is not a hunger strike. Fasting is not a diet plan. Fasting is not to be done as part of your nutrition plan and your goal is to lose weight. Those things have purposes that are not holy purposes or spiritual purposes. Fasting, if done in the way that the biblical, talk, or biblical fasting is talked about, fasting is a very spiritual practice. Fasting is done to aid one's spiritual life. Biblical fasting is always centered around the spiritual purposes. Richard Foster actually says that fasting is feasting. That's what he says in his book, Celebration of Discipline. He says, fasting is feasting. He says, when we are fasting, when we are abstaining, we are not just abstaining from from food, but we are actually choosing to feast on the Word of God. So fasting is feasting because we're not just abstaining from this food thing. That's not the focus. We're actually choosing to feast on God. We're feasting our lives around the Word of God. John 4.32, kind of this is where Foster explains that it. He says, uh, it says, I have food to eat of which you do not know. I have food to eat of which you don't know. That's Jesus. Fasting is feasting on the Word of God. It's being nourished by God's power, by God's Spirit. It's being nourished by Him instead of by food. Fasting is an ancient biblical practice. Fasting is not something that just started in the New Testament. If we scroll all the way back to the Old Testament, we see fasting done by Moses, David, Elijah, Esther, Daniel, Anna, Paul. We see all kinds of these people throughout the whole biblical book. We see people fasting. We see it come up all the time. Jesus obviously fasted, and we're going to look at a bit of that today. Uh, Jesus fasted during Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness, he was fasting, and we are told that it says he ate nothing. He ate nothing. And then it goes on to say what I think is an obvious thing, but says at the end of those 40 days, it says uh, he was hungry, as if there was anything uncertain about someone not eating for 40 days, that they would be hungry at the end. It says he was hungry. So that seems to remind you, like, he was, he, was, he was going without food, and it wasn't just like he was eating less, or he was choosing not to have McDonald's, or he wasn't having any chocolate. Jesus was eating nothing. He was eating nothing for 40 days. And during this, Satan is trying to tempt him, of course. This is, this is the, uh, the passage where we see the temptation of the wilderness. Now, when we look at this verse, and we look at this section of Scripture, and we're looking at it as, as we talk about fasting, there's actually a bunch of debate, and I, and I entered into a lot of it this week, uh, about, uh, among Christians, a debate over is there a command, is there a scriptural command for us to fast? Are we commanded to fast? Are we, are we required? Is it a requirement that we fast? Is, 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 is fasting as important as communion? Is fasting as important as baptism or other ordinance? Is fasting that important? Are we commanded to do it? Uh, there are quite a few passages in the, in the New Testament, uh, and easily as many in the Old Testament, that actually deal with fasting. So we're going to look at just two, though. And we're going to look at two because I think they're really clear, and they both come from Jesus. So the first comes from the Sermon on the Mount. It's the very first time uh, that we have Jesus recorded to have talked about fasting. So this is the first time we have Jesus talking about fasting. And it comes in Matthew 6, verses 16 to 18. And it says, And when you fast... Don't put on a sad face like the hypocrites. They distort their faces so that people will know they are fasting. I assure you, they have received their reward. When you fast, brush your hair, wash your face. Then you won't look like you are fasting to people, but only to your Father who is present in that secret place. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The very beginning part is what we're going to look at, and it says and when you fast. He doesn't say and if, right? He says and when. The implication of that word when is that you are. It's something you will do or that you are doing. It's something that everyone is doing. It's not an if you choose to fast or if you're one of those people that does fasting. He says and when you fast. The implication is that people are fasting. Now, in response to people who say that that is a command to fast, the the people on the other side will actually say, well, we have to be clear about who Jesus was speaking to. Jesus, at this point, is speaking to a people that regularly already practice fasting. He's speaking to the Pharisees. He's speaking to the Jews. So those people already have fasting as part of their week. They already have fasting as part of their culture. It's something they already do. So when Jesus says, and when you fast he's not commanding them so much as he's saying, I know you do fast, so while you do it, here's some rules. That's what the other side of that argument says. So it's, maybe it's not so much a command there, uh, and it was actually just, it was for people back then. So today, it's not something that we're required to do. It's something that was for those people who are observing the Jewish customs and the Jewish law. So today, we don't, we don't have to fast, well, then we'll just skip over to Matthew nine fourteen to 15, because I think it clarifies it a little bit. And it says, At that time, John's disciples came, and they asked Jesus, So why do we and the Pharisees frequently fast, but your disciples never fast? And Jesus responded, The wedding guests cannot mourn while the groom is with them still, can they? But the days will come when the groom will be taken away, and then they will fast. In this passage, Jesus explicitly says that, yeah, right now, my disciples, you're right, they're not fasting, but that's because I'm with them. But I'm going to be gone soon, and then they will fast, and then they will be fasting. Right? So Jesus, he, perhaps he didn't outright command. He didn't put it in and say, this is the greatest commandment after the other two greatest commandments, make sure you're fasting. He didn't say it in that way, but it seems pretty clear from looking at this verse that while he didn't command we go fast, he certainly expected we would be fasting, there was an expectation that we would just be fasting. There was an expectation that fasting would be something that we just did. It seems clear he thought we would continue this practice. So, so if the implication is that Jesus expects we were fasting, and perhaps he did command or didn't command, we don't need to settle that argument, but the expectation is that we would be fasting, let's get to the why. What's the point? Why should we fast? Right? It's nice to say we should, but why should we fast? What is the point or what's the purpose of fasting? We're going to look at three, three purposes of fasting. So the first purpose, or the first point of fasting is that fasting is about being centered on God. Fasting is about being centered on God. Fasting is not about ourselves. Fasting is not about me. It's not about you. It's not about us. It's about being centered on God. Zechariah 7.5 says, it says, God says, this is God speaking, it says, Ask all the people of the land and the priests, When you fasted and you mourned in the fifth and the seventh months, for the past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? Right? This seems to be God saying, like, who are you fasting for? And the implication is that they weren't fasting for God. They were fasting for themselves. They were fasting for other reasons. God is saying here that the fasting, your fasting, is about me. Fasting is about being centered on me. Fasting isn't about you. It's not about I. It's not about people knowing that we are fasting. Jesus said, if we went back to that verse of Matthew, Jesus says, he says, you know, don't make your faces sad. Don't distort your faces when you're fasting. He says, brush your hair, which is just a good thing to do always. But he says, brush your hair and wash your face. And if you have young boys, I bet you've said that a lot. Brush your hair, wash your face. Um, He says, don't make a big deal about it so everyone knows you're fasting. When you're fasting, do it in secret. He says, don't call attention to yourself. Jesus says, don't don't make a big deal so that everyone knows you're fasting. That's not the point of this. Don't make that a big deal. He actually says that the hypocrites who do that, they've received their reward. Their reward for the fasting is that everyone is impressed by them. Their reward is that everyone is, ooh, look at them, they're fasting. Right? Jesus says, don't do that. Don't call attention to yourself. But we, sometimes we do that. Some people love to tell everyone about their fast. Uh, I mean, I, on Tuesday or Wednesday, I'll go on Facebook and I bet you I'll be able to see, for the next 40 days, I'm observing Lent and I'm fasting from blank. It'll probably say, I'm fasting from Facebook, so if you need me, text me or call me. Right? <laughs> as if, hey, I'm not gonna be on this place, but I'm gonna be on this place twice as much, so. Right, we love to tell people, and, and it's, we'd like, we tell people so that we can get the glory, right? We, we love to make a big deal about it. Someone says, I'm going to Tim Hortons. Uh, do you want anything? Oh, no, thank you. I'm actually fasting. So for the whole 40 days, yeah, 40 days, not four, 40 days, I have any coffee. I know, tough life, tough life, the sacrifices I am making, right? It's like we want a medal. We want some kind of an accolade. We want everyone to pin a little star on our chest and say, wow, good for you. Like, you did it. You're amazing. We want to be lifted up. But that's not what fasting is about. Fasting is not about us getting glory or praises from our friends or from family or from others. Fasting is about being centered on God. Fasting is about centering our hearts around God. Fasting is not about impressing other people. Fasting is about God. So the second thing about fasting is, what's the point? The second purpose is, fasting is reminding ourselves who or what sustains us. Ah, (laughs) Beautiful. (laughs) Who or what sustains us, right? Fasting is not about going without things like food so that we see a dietary or bodily improvement, right? There are lots of fad diets that will say, oh, you know what? You should do intermittent fasting and you should only eat for, you know, 16 hours a day and the other eight you have to, you know, not eat uh, and you'll improve your body. Fasting is not about that. Real fasting is not about seeing a bodily improvement. It's not about weight loss. It's not about, you know, being fitter and having more muscle. It's not about those things. Fasting is not about going without your cell phone so that you'll spend more time on your family. It's not about going without coffee so that your body will have a detox and a reset. It's not about those things. Those may be secondary benefits that happen, but that's not the point of fasting. That's not the biblical point of fasting, especially during the season of Lent. We see that it's what we talked about, that it's about centering your heart on God. It's about recognizing that this time is about God. And it's about remembering that those things don't sustain us. It's about remembering that it's not food that sustains us. It's not social media. It's not Facebook. And the time we spend on there, that doesn't sustain us. Coffee, as much as we drink of it, does not sustain us. That's what fasting is about. It's about remembering that those things aren't the things that sustain us. The only thing that we can't truly live without is Jesus. The only thing that we truly can't live without is Jesus. Fasting is remembering that God is the one who sustains us. God is the one that we can't live without. That's what biblical fasting is about. It's remembering that food is not what keeps us alive, it's God that keeps us alive. Back to that verse in John 4.32, it says, I have food to eat which you do not know. I have food to eat which you don't know. Jesus was quite literally being sustained by God's power here. He's saying, I'm eating God's word. I'm being nourished by God's spirit. I'm being nourished by these things. Fasting reminds us that we are sustained by God and God alone, not food, not social media, not friendships, not coffee, not chocolate, not any of those things. We are sustained by God and sustained by God alone every breath that we take is from Him. Fasting reminds us who really sustains us. It's not us who keeps the world spinning around the sun and keeps us traveling like that. It's God. God holds the whole world, the destiny of all things, in His hands. Not me, not you. God does. God is the one who sustains us. So that's the second thing that fasting is about. The third thing that fasting is about, or third purpose for fasting, is that fasting brings balance to our lives. How often do we get so consumed in life with things that are simply not a priority? How often do we find ourselves consumed with things that are not a priority? They're not essential. We find ourselves so enthralled and so dedicated to something that is not an essential part of life. Perhaps it's our job. Perhaps we're so consumed with being the best so-and-so in our office or in our job that we're consumed by our jobs. We're consumed by that next big promotion or that next big pay raise or that next accolade. And so we're consumed by our jobs. Perhaps it's that next skill we're trying to master. Perhaps we are trying to learn this this new skill, and and we've been working at this skill for a long time, and it's, it's consumed our every extra second. We spend time day in and day out consumed by this skill. Perhaps it's a hobby that we love. Perhaps a hobby that we genuinely love consumes all of our time. Consumes all of our time. A big one that we probably don't want to recognize is a sports team. Perhaps we're consumed by our love for our local sports team. Perhaps more than anything, we love that sports team. In 1 Corinthians 6.12, Paul says, All things are lawful for me, but... And this is where the but comes in. All things are lawful, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Paul's saying everything, all these things are okay for me to do. They're lawful for me to do, but I'm not going to be a slave to any of them. I'm not going to be consumed by any of them. Those things are not essentials. But in our culture today, we have been enslaved by many things, by many things. And fasting provides us with a time to focus on God to put some balance back into our life. Avoiding those things which continually occupy our time, continually draw us away from God, avoiding those things that enslave us, avoiding those things that consume our lives. I, I... And it makes me laugh when people say things like, "Oh, I really actually don't have time for Bible study this week. Uh, I don't have I don't have time to come to you know this church event that we have. Uh, I, I'm very busy. I have a job, and then you know I have my family, and I have this thing thing. So I don't I don't have time to do any of these church things, and I don't have time to volunteer in church. And that same person can tell you what has happened in every one of the last Leafs games, or that same person can tell you exactly what happened on every episode of The Bachelor for the last three weeks." That same person's Netflix queue is probably a couple hours long every day, right? We make time for the things that we really care about or the things we really want to do, and those things are important to us. Fasting reminds us what should be important. Fasting reminds us what things we should be focused on in our lives. Fasting reminds us what is important and what things we've become enslaved to that we need to get rid of. Fasting reminds us what's essential and what's not. Fasting keeps our focuses in check. So fasting centers us on God. Purpose number one, fasting centers us on God. Number two, fasting reminds us who sustains us. It's not a what, it's a who. God sustains us. Not our food, not our bank accounts. Fasting reminds us God sustains us. And number three is fasting brings balance to our lives. And I think in our lives and culture today, we could all use a little more balance. So the last thing we need to know is how. How do we go about fasting? Fasting. How should we fast? For this, I'm gonna refer to Richard Foster because his book is an excellent book, Celebration of Discipline. If you don't have this book and you're curious about disciplines, you should go buy this book. Uh, It's a wonderful, wonderful book. So I'm gonna refer to Richard Foster for his how-to of fasting. So the first thing that he says is, as with all disciplines, or as with all things, it's really important that you should walk before you run. Right, walk before you run. Don't decide, you know what? We're going to try this fasting. So the next 40 days, Lucas, I'm not eating. If that's what you feel God is calling to you to, I'm not going to tell you not to do it. But I'm going to tell you maybe you should check with a mentor first. Maybe you should check that that's really what you're being called to. Because to start with a 40-day fast like that is going to be no food. That'll be a very tough thing. But if that's where you feel God is calling to you, I'm not going to tell you not to do it. But I think you should learn to walk before you run. Start with a 24-hour fast. Try going from lunch lunch to lunch. Try try skipping dinner and breakfast. Try just doing that 24 hours. Go from lunch to lunch and try to fast. Try this once a week for a few weeks. Try this maybe once a week for the next month. See how your body reacts. Watch how your body reacts. You're going to be fascinated, of course, by how your body reacts, but remember that the focus of the fast is not how your body reacts. The focus of that fast is centering your heart on God. So try it once a week for a couple of weeks and just see, as a, how does your body react to this? Does my body react okay? Can I go to the next step? And so after a few weeks, if your body is reacting okay, try the next step. Try a 36-hour fast. Now you're going to think, that's only 12 hours, that's not really a big difference. It's a big difference. 36 hours is way different fasting than 24 hours. It's a difference of one meal, really. It's only one extra meal that you're going to skip, but 36 hours is a lot harder on your body. So so try, after you've done the 24 hours for a few weeks, try a 36-hour fast for a few weeks. Try a 36-hour fast for a few weeks. Try to go without food. It's going to be skipping three meals. Try that. If you do that for a few weeks, you're going to notice that your your stomach starts to grumble a lot more. You're going to be a very vocal stomach. Uh, You might even feel some pains in your stomach. And that's because you've conditioned your stomach to tell you when it's hungry. You've conditioned, conditioned your stomach to signal when you want food. Martin Luther says, the flesh was wont to grumble dreadfully, but don't give in. Don't give in to that grumbling. It's going to be tough, and it's fasting. It's, It's not always the easiest thing in the world, but endure. Push through it. Remember that you are not a slave to your body. We're only a slave to Christ. That's it. If you're able to, in that 36 hours, the 24 hours, if you're able to, spend the time that you would normally spend eating, spend that in prayer. Spend that time in meditation. Spend that time in study. Spend it in devotion. Try spending that time in silent worship. Try to spend that time that you'd have normally spent eating with God. Now, and remember, this is important for all the steps, but remember not to call attention to what you're doing, right? As we looked at in Matthew 6, don't call attention to it. Don't make a big deal about you fasting. This isn't about you getting glory. This is about God. Now, after you've mastered the 36-hour fast, this is where I would encourage you to to really go to God and see if He's calling you to try a longer fast. See if He's calling you to try uh, a a more lengthened fast. Uh, Foster suggests here trying a three to seven-day fast if you're doing a food fast. Try three to seven days. This is a long enough time period that you're going to notice it's going to have a substantial impact on your life, substantial impact on you physically, but also spiritually, you're going to notice that you feel some physical discomfort and hunger pains, a lot more than before. You'll notice your body starts to rid itself of toxins that have built up from poor eating habits over the last couple of years. You might actually notice a weird color and a weird coating on your tongue. If you've ever done a fast of this length, you're going to notice your tongue looks and smells weird. You're going to notice you have really horrible breath. And that's the toxins coming out of your body. You're going to get headaches, especially if you drink lots of coffee or tea. That's your body quite literally going through chemical withdrawal from a drug you're addicted to. That's, that's a withdrawal from the drug a lot of us are addicted to, which is caffeine. You may feel weak at times. You may feel really dizzy. If you're going to try a longer fast like this, I encourage you to rest your body. Go slower. Take life a little bit slower during those times. Remember to drink lots of water. Um... Now, there are some who should obviously, I'm going to just as, a, as an aside, there are some who should not fast unless you've spoken to a doctor. Obviously, there are some people who you, just, you should not fast, especially uh, unless you've doken, spoken to your daughter, especially those with medical issues, things like heart issues, diabetes, uh, expectant mothers, those people you really shouldn't be trying, especially a longer fast like this uh, from food, I'm talking about specifically, uh, from food, unless you've talked to your daughter, doctor, not your daughter. Talk to your daughter, if she's a doctor, I mean, that'll help, but talk to your doctor. Um, Remember though, when you're trying these longer fasts, again, the goal is not weight loss. The goal is not improving your body. The goal is not detoxing from caffeine. The goal is none of those things. The goal is centering your heart on God. So over the next eight weeks, until Easter, we are going to be talking about spiritual disciplines. We're going to talk about a bunch of them. We're not going to hit them all. But as a church, I encourage us all to try some of these new disciplines during the time of Lent. Uh, During this time period, this is a season where we're preparing for Jesus. We're preparing for Holy, we're preparing for Him coming. We're preparing for the death and resurrection. So I encourage you to try a discipline that you've never done before. Pick up one of the spiritual disciplines guides. Pick one, find one that you've never done before, and give it a shot over Lent. Try to do it, even if you do it once a week over the next bunch of weeks, try something new. And in that time period, see how God uses this discipline to shape you, how God uses this discipline to mold you and challenge you, how God uses this discipline to speak to you. The spiritual disciplines are not for experts. They are for beginners. They're for beginners like you and beginners like me. After all, that is all we will ever be when it comes to these things. Thomas Merton says, we don't want to be beginners, but let us be convinced by the fact that we will never be anything else but beginners all our life. So let's be beginners together in these spiritual disciplines. Let's enter into these deep waters together and see where God speaks to us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your examples. Father, we thank You for Your Word Lord, we thank you for the lessons that you teach us day in and day out. And Father, we thank you by the things that we can look at your life and what you did and what we can draw and glean from that, Father. Lord, we thank you for these disciplines that you've passed on through the many generations to us, Lord. And may we try and may we be encouraged to try new disciplines, Father. And Lord, may you speak to us. God, in these disciplines, may may we be about finding you, may we be about centering our hearts on you, God. And Lord, you be there. Spirit, may you call out louder to us than you have ever called out before. May May we meet you. May we hear your voice. May we see where you are leading us and guiding us and challenging us and shaping us, Father. Lord, may we find you in these deep, deep waters. Lord, may you call to us. God, we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.